All right, friends, we're going to keep rocking in the midweeks with the book of 2 Samuel. And I must confess, it's beginning to sprawl a little bit. I find, found that in the first story because you were kind of following people's journeys a bit more personally. Um, just following Samuel, following Saul, following David, there was a bit more of a sense of a progression. And now this chapter, in chapter 5, we're going to have a bit of a more of a sprawling story where many events are going to be looked at, but um, in shorter periods of time. So you don't have any long stories of anything happening in this chapter. You have a bunch of stuff happening in a short amount of words. doesn't mean that it didn't take a long time, but a short amount of words. And as we get into this, the heads up I want to give, you know, I talked about the first four chapters being kind of a unit, the Civil War unit of David's early days where he's anointed king, but just over Judah. And now we're having a bit of a restart where David is going to be king over all Israel. And so what you kind of get is a few different pictures of what it meant for David to become king over Israel. And you can kind of think of it like this. Sometimes you're watching a movie and they go into like a musical montage and they try to cover a bunch of time by showing this scene and that scene. And you're not really hearing people talk to each other much. There's just a song playing while people act things out. They often do that in movies when they want to cover a bunch of time, like training or building a house or doing something or traveling or something like that. They'll just have a montage where they show you scenes to carry the story along, um, get a lot done in a short amount of time. And I think this is kind of what's going on here. It's a montage of scenes that introduce you to David's reign beginning over all of Israel. All right, so without any further ado, let's hit chapter 5. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed King David, David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And at Jerusalem, he reigned over Israel at and Judah 33 years. All right, so lots going on here, but you, you <clears throat> have this kind of restart in the story of David. Or it's not a restart, but it's a parallel start. So in chapter 2 of 2 Samuel, you had the elders of Judah coming and anointing David king and him setting himself up at Hebron to be the king. But then you had this civil war hit where all these guys who are now coming to David sided with Ishbosheth under Abner's poor, ungodly influence. And now you have like this, it's not a reset, but it's like a parallel start where now um, the elders of Israel are coming to David and now they're making overtures to him and saying, hey, wait, we're one here and you should be our shepherd. And hey, wait, didn't God say that you were supposed to do this? And so again, just kind of like Abner, it calls into doubt, like, why didn't you do this in the first place with these prophecies? But Abner's political shenanigans were very influential, obviously. And but now is the time when all of Israel is going to come to David. Ishbosheth is dead. Abner has been killed. And so obviously David is the most powerful leader alive at this time. And the people are remembering, hey, wait, you used to actually lead us. And so they've come and David is willing to make this covenant with them. He's um, 
a very rare king because he's not going to execute any revenge on anybody in his kingship here, um, which is good. And then you get this summary of time frames that David was 30 years old when he began to reign here. And he reigned 40 years. And so this is common, excuse me, when <clears throat> a judge or king comes on, they'll just summarize the kingship. And it just makes you think how young David was during all these troubles. So when David was fighting Goliath, when he was serving Saul, when he was in the land of the Philistines in exile, he was like in his early 20s during that exile. And even, in fact, he went into exile just in his very, very, very early 20s. Remember, he was a year and a half in exile. And then after his exile, he was seven and a half years in Hebron. And so if he starts reigning at 30 here, that means he was only 20 when he was running around being hunted by Saul and 20 and a half when he went into exile into the land of the Philistines. And so just think about how young David was when when he was having these moments of needing great faith and self-restraint and not fighting back against Saul. He was 20 years old when he could have killed Saul in that cave, if my math is right, which it almost never is. So be gracious with me, but just think about how young he was and how young he is here. He's been made king at 30. I'm 40. I remember what I was like at 30. I was very immature, but David is now king over the people of God at 30. And then we're told about Jerusalem, that he reigns in Jerusalem for 33 years. And so now we need to kind of talk about Jerusalem. So we go from the scene of him making this covenant to be king and Jerusalem's mentioned. So now we got to talk about how did David get into Jerusalem? And so here we are, verse six. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites and the inhabitants of the land who said to David, you shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking David cannot come in here. So they see themselves as in this impenetrable city. And I'm not an archaeologist and I'm not um, into castles that much, but my understanding was that Jerusalem was a very unique city because about three of its sides were built along a steep cliff, which made it very easy to defend. There was just one wall for entrance to the city that needed to be defended, and the other sides could pretty easily be protected because of the steep cliffs surrounding it. And so these people thought that they just couldn't be taken. Um, in the history of battle, usually fortified cities, they did some good, but they almost always fell, as long as people had enough resources to wait them out and starve them out. Anyhow, um, nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. And David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind, quote unquote, who are hated by David's soul. Therefore, it is said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And so they're saying that there was some kind of uh, proverb that arose from the Jebusites' proud response to David's um, attack on them. And David says, well, you know, every city's got a weakness and it's usually their need for resources, food and water. And so obviously, the way he spied it out, and I think there may be more to this story later on, but the way he spied it out, the water shaft was the weakness. And so there's always a weak point, and God blessed them to take advantage of it. And so they did. Verse 9, And David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built the city all around from the millow inward. And David became greater and greater, for the Lord, the God of hosts, is with him. So you have David making this covenant with Israel seen. And the mention of how long he lived in Jerusalem. And then you have this scene of David taking Jer the city of Jerusalem um, 
even though the people inside of it thought it was impregnable. But the wisdom of David's military strategy plus God's blessing came together to take the city. And it's talked about how it's named the city of David. Then we have another scene. So we have this talking about how David becomes greater and greater because God is with him. And then we have an explanation of one of these outworkings of God's blessing being with him with the king of Tyre. So Tyre is a city near um, the, city, the, the area of Jerusalem. And this is what it says in verse 11. The, and, and Haram, king of Tyre, sent messages to David and cedar trees, also carpenters and masons who built David a house. And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of the people of Israel. So you can see how there's stuff, there's these connections, right? Uh, David is anointed king over Israel and he lived in Jerusalem and here's how he took Jerusalem and God made him great. And here's one of the signs of God making him great is that another king, a pagan king, sends materials to Jerusalem for David to build up his house within Jerusalem. And part of this is that you know, the, the mission of Israel wasn't just to conquer its enemies around there, but actually to bless the nations around there. Remember, Abraham, the promise to Abraham was that through Abraham and his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so here is a bit of a first fruit that a king from Abraham, this promised king, this faithful king, um, is connecting and building this good alliance with Hiram and Hiram wants to bless David and be blessed by David by making this um, faithful covenant with him. This isn't like Tyre's been conquered. This is like Hiram says, I want to be in good relationship with you, so I'm going to help you build your house. And so seeing the nations come to help build up Israel is a rare event. Usually Israel's just in conflict with the nations. Remember the time of Judges where there's just constant warfare with their neighbors. And so this is one of the few times, maybe it's the first time, but this is one of the few times where Israel is being blessed by one of the nations around them as David takes the throne. And so this is a good thing. And it's a foreshadowing of Christ. When Jesus, the true son of David, comes into his reign, the nations were prophesied. And they do. They start to stream to um, the son of David to give him honor, to give him praise, and to receive blessing from Jesus. So this is a foreshadowing and the first fruits of that kind of um, anointed one Christ-like promise that's going to come down the pipe. Okay, verse 13, and David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron, and more sons and daughters were born to David. And these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem, Shemua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphelet. Excuse me. Now, <clears throat> this is the turning point. You know, you're hearing good things, the covenant of kingship, the taking of Jerusalem, the blessing of Hiram. And this is a turning point where there's this um, chronicling of the children of David when he's in Jerusalem. And again, this is, this, is, this, is not, this is a mixed bag. This isn't great because remember we read previously that the king is not supposed to be taking more and more wives and concubines for himself. Um, it's not a good thing. And 
were going to be super proven that, excuse me for the weird phrase, by Solomon taking so many wives and concubines to himself that his heart is actually turned away from the Lord. But you can kind of hear the hint that this isn't a good thing because as the chronicle of children who were born to David comes about here, you see the name Solomon right in the middle. And even though Solomon will be king, remember how Solomon was conceived with David taking for himself a wife by um, having one of his servants put to death with the issue with Bathsheba. And that's not good. And so we kind of have this foreshadowing of badness coming down the pipe that David is, uh, his complete devotion to the Lord is really being shaken by the success that God's given him. And so this is like a, a foreshadowing of you're supposed to see that name Solomon and kind of go, okay, okay, this whole more wives and concubines in Jerusalem thing, maybe this isn't the best thing. Maybe David is being a little bit too much like the kings all around. And that was Israel's problem at the beginning. Remember when they wanted the kingship, they wanted a king just like all the nations around them. And they got Saul and he was crazy. And now David is transgressing the line of becoming a little bit too much like the kings around him as well by amassing these wives and concubines. Verse 17. Now we have another transition here from the wives and sons chronicles to David's wars. And this is this is good because the king is there to protect uh, the people of Israel. And what we have here is two stories of David fighting it by faith in God and that God is with him. And so the Philistines are going to be beaten back. Now, remember the last time David had interaction with the Philistines, he was actually working for them. And then he came back to Israel and had the civil war. And we're not sure exactly what was going on with the Philistines during that time. But now that David is king, the Philistines are worried that Israel's going to rise up in military might. So they want to get in there quickly to put David down and maybe keep some influence and authority. They've won over Israel at this time. Uh, but because David is a man of faith and following God's um, leading under his blessing, he's going to have victory. So when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. But David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Raphaim. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said, to David, go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hands. So notice him inquiring of the Lord. This is just unlike, remember Saul's last days when God wouldn't talk to him. Now the king is back with God talking to him about what to do. And David came to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there, and he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like the breaking flood. Therefore, the name of that place is called Baal-perazim. And the Philistines left their idols there, and the David and his men carried them away. Now it's a little ambiguous. Is this a good thing? Did they set up these own idols? I always assumed that they went and destroyed them, but it's a little unclear. In verse 22, we'll wrap this up. The Philistines came yet again and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. David inquired of the Lord. He said, you shall not go up. Okay, so this is different. You shall not go up. Go around to their rear and come against them opposite the balsam trees. So God is even giving military strategy about how to attack. Verse 24, and when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself, for then the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. And David did as the Lord commanded him and struck down the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. So you have these two stories, um, double for emphasis, that David is the God-led, God-empowered defeater of the Philistines and protector of Israel. And this is wrapping up this 
introduction to David's um, rule as the king over all Israel. All Israel comes to him. He builds Jerusalem. Uh, he makes a, a treaty that blesses him with one of the nations around him, and he's defeating the enemies of Israel in this double story of him just depending on direction from the Lord about what to do and God giving him great favor. And this is the introduction to David's reign. And with that little foreshadow of where things are going to go wrong later on, so that when it happens, we're like, no, God warned us about this. We saw this coming. All right, be blessed, Calvary Chapel, Calvary Church, and whoever else is listening to this. I hope you're growing in your understanding of God's word. And I hope as we hear the story of David, we're just provoked to faith, to faith over and over again, trusting God. It took uh, 10 years, at least, for God's promise to, for David to become king, to be come to fruition. Uh, but God was faithful to his promises and is in a few chapters going to um, discipline David in some ways, but also give him this great promise about his sons reigning over the throne of Israel in perpetuity. And so we will get there. But what we need to hear from this is that God is faithful to his promises. And as we're faithful to him, we usually have great victory. And ultimately, we have the best victory, being raised from the dead, triumphing over Satan and death with our Lord Jesus Christ. And amen. Amen.